couple of weeks ago that uh, I was going to be speaking and then a uh, uh, pastor got up uh, and uh, spoke last Sunday night and ruined what I was going to say and then Tony got up this morning and again ruined what I was going to say. <laughs> but I'm afraid it's too late. I'm not changing it. <laughs> so obviously, uh, um, you know, maybe I, be- I believe maybe God's got something to say. You know, if, if he gives... Uh, if he keeps repeating the same message, you know, you find if you go to a church and you go, you hear a message, and then you a couple of weeks later go to another church, or you, you turn on the radio, or you you turn listen to your podcast, whatever, and you hear the same message again, just maybe God's trying to tell you something. I can remember someone saying to me at one point that uh, they they were actually saying, "Why is it every time I go into church, I'm hearing a message about unforgiveness?" And I went, "Well, maybe you've got someone to forgive. You know, maybe you've got unforgiveness in your heart." <laughs> Um, but as normal, whenever um, I'm sharing, I always believe that you know there, there's that God's will is to speak to His people. It's God's desire to talk to every one of us, to be involved in our lives, and to speak to us. And He might speak to us for today. He might speak to us for tomorrow. But He's got something to say to us. And I, I believe that that regardless of what I have to say, that I believe that if if God is here and if His Spirit is here, that He will get something, even if it's a, a, a pop-up window, a passing thought, he will have something to, to feed our souls. So tonight I want to just share a few thoughts um, on faith. Thank you very much, Tony. <laughs> um, on faith, slightly different. Um, when he turned to Luke this morning, I went, no! <laughs> uh, but he bounced over the chapter I was going to look at. So tonight I want to actually look at uh, Luke chapter 7. See, you were one away this morning. <laughs> there was a great consternation this morning whenever you went to Luke, and I was like, oh no. Um, and I want to look at Luke chapter 7. Um, what I had sent, I had sent Pastor a text and a few other people a text a couple of weeks, weeks ago, and it was uh, a quote from Gandhi. And if, if, I hope a few of you know who Gandhi is. Gandhi was an Indian, um, he uh, was very instrumental in. India getting its independence from the British Empire. Um, he was a Hindu, but he had a few things to say which are noteworthy. And I just want to say this to begin with. This isn't really part of the message, but it's, it, it is in a way. He said, you Christians look after a document containing enough dynamite to blow all civilization to pieces, to turn the world upside down and to bring peace to a battle-torn planet. But you treat it as though it is nothing more than a piece of literature. There's a lot of people out there and that's all the, the Bible is to them. They look at it, they read it, they study it, but it's nothing more than a piece of literature, something to be analyzed and looked at from a distance. But the word of God, is it's, it's more than that. It's much more than that. It's something that whenever it's mixed with the spirit of God changes our souls, it changes our lives. It translates a life from darkness into his glorious light. There's something about the Word of God when it is mixed with faith and the Holy Spirit. And tonight I want to look at a moment in Luke uh, and another verse later on. And uh, if you want to put a title on this sermon, I would put the title, Jesus Was Amazed. It's not very often you think of Jesus being amazed. You know, he was uh, the God, the eternal, who was before, who was always been. He was uh, the pre-existent one. He was with the Father and with the Holy Spirit at the creation of the world. 
I like to think of it like the, the father was the, he was the money behind the deal. Jesus was the architect and the Holy Spirit was the builder. That's the way I sort of put it together in my head. But you get the idea that they were there. It actually talks about them in, in the beginning. So he was there and he seen the, the stars being formed. He seen planets and solar systems. He seen the earth being formed. He seen plants and animals and fish and all manner of things being created. And yet here we are when he came to earth. He was born, lived as one of us, walked the streets of Bethlehem and Nazareth and Capernaum and Judea, walking under trees. And he went, I created that. I know what that was like. I was here before. But it doesn't say that he was amazed at that. But there's two times in scriptures where it says that Jesus was amazed Twice where he went, wow, that's amazing. One good amazing and one bad amazing, but two amazings from Christ. Jesus from eternity, complete faith and trust. Can you imagine what heaven was like? A place where there was perfection, a place where everyone believed God, a place where people just were were angels and, and where everything was at peace. You know, God said to an angel, go do this. The angel went and did it. There was no hesitation. There was no deviation. There was no confusion. There was no uh, doubt. There's no unbelief. A place of complete faith, a complete trust in God. That's where he came from. And he came down to our planet. He came to earth. I should say his planet, because he created it, so he owns it. You know, in heaven, they didn't have tannoys or public announcements saying, trust God, trust God, trust God. They lived and they basked in the presence of God and the glory of God every day. Came to this earth, lived amongst us. In a world which has million and one reasons to doubt, million and one reasons to question, to come up with another solution, to come up with another answer. And Jesus was amazed. You know, maybe in these two instances, maybe in the first instance, Jesus, there was an echo of faith whenever he heard that in this story we're going to read now. Maybe there was something that resonated with him and that's what connected and that's why he was amazed. And in the second instance, maybe it was just the sheer lack of faith that was, was amazing for him. So let's just start at Luke chapter 7, verse 1. Um, I'm actually reading from the, uh, the original. Uh, now, when he came, uh, when he had ended all his sayings in the audience of the people, he entered into Capernaum, and a certain centurion servant who was dear to him was sick and ready to die. And when he had heard Jesus, he sent unto him the elders of the Jews, beseeching him that he would come and heal his servant. And when they came to Jesus, they brought him instantly, uh, besought him instantly, saying that he was worthy for whom he should do this. For he loveth our nation, and he hath built us a synagogue. Then Jesus went with them, and when he was now not far from the house, the centurion sent friends unto him, saying unto him, Lord, trouble not yourself, for I am not worthy that thou shouldest enter under my roof. Wherefore, neither thought I myself worthy to come unto thee, but say in a word, and my servant shall be healed." 
For I also am a man set under authority, having under me soldiers, and I say unto one, Go, and another, and he goeth, and unto another, Come, and he cometh, and to my servant do this, and he doeth it. When Jesus heard these things, he marveled, or he was amazed at him, and turned him about, and said unto the people that followed him, I say unto you, I have not found so great faith, no, not in Israel. And they that were sent, returning to the house, found his servant whole that had been sick. Praise the Lord. It's a familiar story. It's one that we're very familiar with. We've, we've heard it many times. Luke here um, wasn't one of the disciples. Luke was a physician. He had been hired by Theophilus. Uh, maybe a, a few years down the line, Theophilus went, I believe in Jesus and I, I'm just not so sure about these stories and I want to know what's the real truth. So he give Theophilus, or Theophilus gave Luke a, a paid vacation to go and research the, the story of Jesus, to research his life and death. And he paid for him to, to go around finding witnesses. You can find that in the beginning of Luke. It's, he goes around and he questioned everyone who was involved. That's why his account's sometimes more detailed, sometimes at different perceptions and different angles because he's looking at it from a Gentile perspective, but he's also looking at it from eyewitnesses he's questioning. So here in this account, we have a, a, a few things. And I want to actually do is take time and go through a few things, go through the points as it were. First of all, we have the centurion. He was a Gentile. He was uh, a man of authority, of prowess in the face of danger. He was used to commanding. They either had somewhere from 80 to 100 men underneath him. He led in battle. He was a picture of calm. The, the unit would stand beside him and he would be at the side. And as they fought and he fought with them, he would remember, oh, we need to be moving this way. And he would command the unit and they would move. So he was used to having people acting and responding to his words. He was used to having people move. He's seen the big picture when it was on the battlefield. He's seen the big picture when he was in barracks looking at the, this area that I have to control. He was used to training troops, to inspiring troops, to leading. He was a man of, of, of military prowess and authority. He was also a man of reputation. He had contacts. It says actually that he sent the elders of the Jews. Not just any Roman can do that. He sent the elders of the Jews, here, you go for me. So he had contacts. He had resources because he built their synagogue for them. He was a man of wealth and of prowess, a man of experience. You just don't become, in those days, you just don't become a, a, a centurion because you're related to someone. You had to work your way up. I spent 10 to 20 years in the legions before you got that position. So he was a seasoned man. He was, he was not a, a fly-by-wire type person. He wasn't a fly-by-night here and gone. He wasn't a young person. He was mature in his, his, his life. You know, but he was also a compassionate man. It says that he, was, he had a servant who he was very dear to him. You know, in those days, the, they, they estimate anywhere from 20 to, depending on what you're reading, 20 to 40% of the empire were slaves. There was no laws protecting slaves. Slaves were seen as cattle. They were seen as, uh, 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 as expendable. The word used in, the, in our Bible there says servant, but it's actually the, the Greek word for slave. So this was a slave, but he actually cared for a slave, which was unusual. He was an interesting man. He's a complex man, this centurion. 
Maybe he came down to breakfast in the morning and he would, uh, and the, the, it was the servant who, who brought him his breakfast. It was the one who was sick. Do you know, like, just like Nehemiah. Remember Nehemiah in the Old Testament, his countenance had fallen. And then the king asked him, what's wrong with you? Maybe it was the same idea. This was a servant that was very dear to him. And he started to ask after him. And he started to seek for other answers. Seek for, oh no, he's not well. We've got to do something about that. It's a, it's a remarkable story. I, I don't want to take away, I don't want to add to something the scriptures don't say, but we have to remember that this was a Roman. He was a Roman citizen. He was a Roman soldier. He was someone who was steeped in their culture. You know, we went for a honeymoon there to Thailand and I was told a few people, you know, as we walked through uh, in Bangkok, we walked along and we seen all the, the, the Buddhist temples and shrines. You can't not see them. Throw a stone in any one direction, you're bound to knock something off of a temple. Uh, but as I was walking along there and looking at those temples and the people who were into Buddhism and so engrossed in it, the, 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 the verse came to me, or the passage came to me, um, we who are in darkness have seen a great light. You know, this man was from a Roman world where they, they worshipped all the Roman gods and they had temples for this and temples for that. They had their practices, their sacrifices and all those type of things. And they would go and, oh, someone's not well, I'll go to the temple and I'll offer something. He was steeped in that, but this man was different. This centurion had a, a he had an eye opener, something had happened to him. Maybe, maybe spending years in a Jewish town and in a Jewish culture, he had started to wonder, what is it about these people? What is, it about the, the, their, what is it about their faith? What is it about their God which makes them different? How come they're defeated and yet they still seem to have something about them? There's a lesson in that for us as well, isn't there? <laughs> so a sick servant. You know, it says that he heard about Jesus. How did he hear about Jesus? I don't, I don't read anywhere that a local evangelist came into town and had a, had a meeting. He, it doesn't say anywhere in here that there was an advert in the paper. It, it doesn't say that he tuned into the God channel. It doesn't say that, that, that uh, there was a leaflet drop. Not that I'm taken away from those things. Don't get me wrong, because I'm not. They're all valid and important things. They all do uh, make a difference. As Andrea, who, who goes to the church now, she, she got a leaflet we had dropped in for the Christianity Explorer. We had dropped it into the house. There was no one in the house. <laughs> and she came home and found it lying. And now she, and she got saved and now she comes to the church. So I'm not taken away from that. But I'm, I'm drawing a, a point here. You were asking. Now, I am a wee bit, using a wee bit of license here. Because the scriptures don't actually say how he heard. It asks the question, you know, it, it, the question there, how did he hear? I like to think of it maybe a wee bit like Naaman. Remember Naaman, the Syrian general, commanded vast armies, a lot more than this man would have commanded. He came down with leprosy. Remember he was uh, smitten and they didn't know what to do. And then a servant girl said to him, oh, if you could go see the prophet, see the man of God. Maybe this centurion, his countenance fell when he thought up of his servant. Maybe it was a man who came around and picked up the rubbish. Maybe it was the guys who did the garden. Maybe it was someone else who, who turned down the beds for him, seen his countenance, and what's the matter? Well, did you know there's a man in Jerusalem today or Capernaum today who can make a difference? It was someone who was a believer, possibly someone who's a believer sharing their faith. You know, as uh, we're getting ready for this Christmas presentation, one of the things that uh, was said this morning was that it's important that we 
We do invite people ourselves. We invite others along, people along. We share our faith. We tell people about God, about what God has done. You know, over the past few weeks, I've used many an opportunity, especially with uh, Andrew and, and uh, Hannah's wedding coming up. I used opportunities and said, oh, I was out at Andrew's stag or, oh, I was out the other night with Andrew. The guy's getting married. Oh, let me tell you about Andrew. Oh, geez. see, Andrew, I, see, we were going to get him for his wedding, but we didn't get him. I said, see if, see if whenever he first came to the church, um, he had been, he was the size he was when he came to church at the time of his wedding. There's no way we would have got him. Now, we didn't get him in the end, but because he got saved and he had stopped drinking, he had lost a lot of weight. He was half the man. And I was telling them this, and they were like, what's interesting? Really, he's half, he's, you know, he's not half the man. You know what I mean? He's lost a lot of weight. And he said, that's amazing. Just through not stopping drinking. I said, yes. And how did he stop drinking? Well, it's funny you should ask that. You know, that's all it takes sometimes. Tell you what, see these practices. Oh, my word, these practices. Why, what are you practicing for? Well, it's funny you should say. We're putting on a presentation. Cinderella lost and found. It's about being lost and undone but then being found. You know, there's ways to do it. There's always ways, ways you can share your faith. Whether it's a book you're reading, whether it's something you're watching, whether it's, you just bring it up in conversation. Sometimes that's the best way. You know, when people, if you come to people saying, let me read a scripture to you. you know, they're they're going to turn off. They're going to switch out. You know, but when you come to them real, you know, I was talking to Sharon recently and I said, you know, what do you call someone who's a, who's a good golfer? He's a super golfer. What do you call someone who's a good cricketer? The super cricketer. What did Jesus come to? He was supernatural. He was more natural. That's what it's really all about. Now, I've labored the point, but you get the idea. It, it was someone talking, someone sharing. Someone had to bring it up to him. And this is written down for our admonition. This is written down for our encouragement. And, you know, part of the whole thing with... Uh, uh, with sharing your faith and stuff, you know, I, I like to say whenever I'm talking, uh, when I, Sharon and I started dating, I kept saying, that, you know, I kept talking about my girlfriend, then I kept talking about my fiance, and then I kept talking about my wife. When I'm using illustrations or talking about wee stories, see my wife this week. Oh my word, you know, and, and that's just out of our relationship, it's out of my love for her. You know what? It, what would it be like if I never talked about her? What would it be, be like if my friends never knew that I was married? I would say a lot about my relationship if I never mentioned it. So in the same way, uh, it's important that we, we do share those things that are important to us and the one that's important to us. So this man, this centurion then, decided to go to Jesus. He decided to approach Jesus. Now, he knew a wee bit of the law. He knew politics. He knew how to work things. And he knew... If I go to Jesus, this great Jewish leader, this might not go down so well. I know what I'll do. These, Jew, these Jewish elders, which he had respect for, I'll send them. I'll get them to go for me. They can be the go-between. So they went up to Jesus. What's the first thing they do? They start to list into, they start to launch into a big list of reasons why God should help them. Lists of reasons why, why Jesus should, should heal his servant. This man's worthy. Oh, he built us a synagogue. Oh, he's been very friendly to the Jews. He hasn't been as harsh as some other Romans. He's been a really nice man. You know, he deserves it if anyone deserves it. And you know, it's so like the religious crowd, isn't it? People who are religious, they, they, they like to, oh, you know what? I never miss church. I'm always there promptly. 
you know, uh, I, I'm always doing this and I'm always helping the poor and I'm always giving my clothes to the charity shops and I'm always, and the list, all the things, and God should help me because that's not the way it works. That's not the way grace works. But this story, it's about Jesus and Jesus, who's great in, great in mercy, does decide to go. You know, in Hebrews eleven six, just as it was touched on this morning, it says, Without faith it is impossible to please him, for he that cometh to God must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. You know, faith, the faith business, is, it's not us. It's not about us. It's not about what we have done, what we have accomplished. It's not about us and how, how holy we've been this week or the last few days. It's not about what we have manufactured or how we have worked it out because our holiness, our righteousness, it's really sometimes very frail if we look at it about our achievements and our accomplishments. So that's why it's important when we look at faith, when we look at holiness and righteousness, we keep our eyes on him because his holiness and his righteousness is the only righteousness that will stand up to scrutiny. Our righteousness, our holiness fails and falls over and over again. Our ability or generosity or our goodness doesn't matter, but it is about his ability, his generosity and his goodness. Now, the scriptures don't say what happened. It says that uh, maybe the, the centurion had actually sent someone to watch the elders and, and when, as they turned uh, with Jesus, bringing him back to, this, to the centurion's house, maybe somewhere in there, Someone went, oh, I better go tell the centurion. And he ran off and the centurion sent friends then out to meet Jesus. Maybe something like that happened. Maybe he was watching from over the street or, or, or maybe something like that was happening. But he sent his friends. As in verse six, let me just read that. But then Jesus went with them. See that, just the grace of Jesus. He decided, I'll go with them. You know what, his list of, list of achievements, okay, well, I'll go with him and see what the story is. But when he was now not far from the house, the centurion sent friends to him, saying unto him, Lord, trouble not yourself, for I am not worthy that thou shouldest enter under my roof. He sent friends. Now, if you read it in, in uh, Matthew, it doesn't actually mention the friends, but the, the point is that the, the language used could either have been said by himself or by his close friends. And in, in their t context, it's as broad as it's long. It's the same difference. So sometimes others looked at us, uh, look at our lives, and they look at us as if whenever we're going to receive help from God. And, you know, can you imagine, you know, people looked on for the centurion going like, Hang on, he's a man of affluence. He's a man with ability. He's got loads of slaves. He could let that one die and just buy a new one. Sure, what does it matter? You know, people look on at our lives and uh, they, they, they look at us and just as these elders had done, they had puffed up his righteousness. They had puffed him up and said, you know, look, he's a great guy. He's in, he's in all the church plays. You know, he's involved with the youth. You know, look, you know him there. He's great. He, he's in a cell group as well. Look, he, he's always got a word for everyone. He's texting people good things. Um, don't, I'm getting, don't get confused in the game. I'm doing all these things. <laughs> but, you know, the, the people, other people looking on at us sometimes can think better of us. But we know our own hearts. We know how, as I said, how frail our, our own good works can be sometimes and how quickly we can switch from good to bad and, 
So these people were looking on. Can you imagine the amazement whenever the good friends of the centurion came out and says, no, hold your horses. You're not going to his house. You're coming to my house. I'm not worthy that you should come underneath my roof. He didn't mention the servant's house. He didn't say, you're not worthy to go into the servant's chambers. It wasn't to do with that. I'm not worthy of you to come into my house. Yes, he would have to go through my house to the servant's chambers. And I bet you his house was far better than the servant's house. Better quality, better furniture, better setting. But still, he knew his heart. He knew exactly where he stood before God. You know, we're in grave danger sometimes and we believe all the things, you know, that there are achievements or our righteousness and our good things. And I've done this and I've done that. If we start to believe all those type of things and, and see them as merits, then we're in danger. The, injures, the centurion said, I am not worthy and I don't deserve. Humility, it's something that, that, that many people in the church, especially some, some people in, in very big churches, some people need a good dose of humility sometimes. Keep it humble before God. Walk small before God, is what the old saying was. But that's what the grace of God is all about. We don't deserve it. If we did, we'd boast. Pride is often another stumbling block to faith. What will others say? What will people think? I can't do it. Or I can do it, even. I don't need. Why should I, why should I call out to God for help? I, I can do this. I can sort this out quietly. Do we turn to God in our moments of need? Do we call out to him and ask him for, for help? For, we're, we're, we're under oppression. We're under trouble at work. We're under strife. Our jobs are in doubt. Our family's sick. Our friends are sick. I'm sick, dear, dear. But, you know, there, there's things happening. Do we, do we call out to God? Do we leave it as a, a, a last stop? Do we leave it as a last option? Sometimes it is, and I'm not taken away from that, but it's good and it's important that as God's people that we remember that he is our God, that he's our loving heavenly father, that he loves us. And he wants to be involved, not just in, in speaking to us in, in some sort of literature way. He wants to be involved in the details, he wants to be involved in the everyday the centurion had no such illusions about his position or about his standing. You know, he was straight to the point. The Romans were seen as uh, conquerors. They were seen as people in control. They were the main party, as it were. These were the people who had loads of money. They came in and they built the Roman baths. They built this and they did that. And yet here's one of them saying, I'm not worthy. He had no illusions. He says, I'm not even worthy for you to come and darken my door. But you know what? Rather than dwell on himself, he started to focus on Jesus. You know, if we dwell on our feelings and our shortcomings, we'll never get anywhere. But what we do is we start maybe there, but then we have to switch our focus onto him. I might not be worthy. I'm definitely not worthy, but you are worthy. He is worthy of our trust. He is worthy of our faith. He is worthy of our lives. He is worthy. This centurion's humility about himself was in comparison to Jesus and it gave him a greater scope for his faith. There in verse seven, it says, Wherefore, neither thought I myself worthy to come unto thee, but say in a word and my servant shall be healed. You know, here, 
in this sto story, the, the centurion has guttered his flag, sent the elders. He has to approach the elders and get them to go for him. So they clearly know what's on his mind and on his heart. But at this point, he's nailed his colors to the mast. There's no going back now. There's no doubt in this. He says, for I, for I also am a man of authority, under authority. In verse 8, they're having under me soldiers, and I say unto one, go, and he goeth, and to another, come, and he cometh, and to my servant, do this, and he doeth it. You know, it's a, he is a, a, it's just basically saying to him, I am a man whose daily course of life and duty is appointed and arranged by a superior authority. And he recognized, some part of him recognized, in hearing the story and hearing about Jesus, something started to happen. His faith started to take action when he, started, when he sent the elders. Faith is not a, just a belief. It's not something just, you, you just hold it here, which is nice as that is. Faith is actually action. It's act, with the old ABCs of faith, action based upon belief is sustained by confidence. It was the acting, it was the moving. At that point, he recognized that Jesus was the source of his answer, that Jesus was the, the only one who could help him, help his sick servant. And he's coming on behalf of another. He's not even coming on his own behalf. Quite a man, quite a story. Is it any wonder that Jesus was amazed? You know, he recognized that Jesus, he was in the presence of a superior authority. This is a vital story. It's an important story. Each of these stories in, in Luke and even the ones that, that Tony was sharing on this morning, they build our faith, but we have to engage with it. We can't just read it as a, as a plain story, as an account. Oh, that's very interesting. We can't read it like that. We have to read it. What is this saying to me? How does this involve me? How does, what is God saying to me in this passage? So the centurion had taken a visible stack, a step there had been an attack to, of pride or guilt. Maybe he felt bad for what he had done, uh, you know, in conquering the Jews. Maybe he had some remorse there. Maybe, you know, the pride was obviously what the Jews had said to him. But he remembered who he was approaching and he reinforced his knowledge about God or Jesus. He re reinforced what had been told to him about Jesus by saying it, confessing it. And then he believed that God is a rewarder of those that diligently seek him. It's an ama amazing story. God said, Jesus said he was amazed at this centurion, this Gentile's faith. Why should he believe? He doesn't have the promises. He doesn't have the scriptures. Why should he believe? It's amazing. There was some sort of a resonance, some sort of an echo there with Jesus. Now the next passage where Jesus was amazed, if we can turn to it, it's in Mark chapter 6, which means that we're past the halfway mark. There you are. Praise God. Can you imagine doing something or saying something that amazed God? Mark 6, six verse 1. <clears throat> Uh, says, and he went out from thence and came into his own country and his disciples follow him. And when the Sabbath day was come, he began to teach in the synagogue and many hearing him were astonished saying, from whence hath this man these things? 
In other words, where does he get this from? Where, where does he get these teachings from? And what wisdom is this which is given unto him, that even such mighty works are wrought by his hands? Is not this the carpenter, the son of Mary, the brother of James and Joseph and Judah and Simon? And are not his sisters here with us? And they were offended at him. But Jesus said unto them, A prophet is not without honor, but in his own country and among his own kin and in his own house, <clears throat> excuse me, and he could there do no mighty works, save that he laid his hands upon a few sick folk and healed them. And verse six, and he marveled or was amazed because of their unbelief. And he went round about the villages teaching in, instead. His home country. So he's back in Nazareth. Back amongst his own people people he'd grown up, up with. I won't take too long with this part, but you get the idea. He's, here's with people who, who knew him. They knew his face. He was no stranger to them. You know, I, th I find that, that there, verse six, some of the saddest words in the Bible. And he marveled because of their unbelief. And he did not many, uh, you know, in the previous couple of verses there, it says, he did not many mighty works because of their unbelief. Because they went, it's Joseph's son, or it's Mary's son. You're the carpenter. Remember the guy who fixed that table in the kitchen? You know, their, their familiarity with him was their problem. You know, if I have a chair or a table or a scalp, maybe I'll go and ask him, but what am I going to ask him about God? Why am I going to ask him about faith? Why am I going to ask him about miracles? Can you hear their contempt? That's sad. Now we, we, we obviously weren't, we didn't grow up in his hometown, but it's sad, it's terrible. People would say this of Jesus. I mean, these people were living and they were Jews. They, were, they had been hearing from, from the religious leaders. They had heard of the, 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 the ripples of his ministry starting and uh, the, the things that he had done in other places. So they were familiar with it. And then they seen him and they went, oh, that's just Jesus. What's your stuff? Here, give him a table. Have you got a plane? I don't mean to be facetious, but you know this was their attitude. Their attitude was of contempt. Their attitude was of, of well, it's only him. And this is it. What makes it even worse is that these were Nazarenes. You remember the verse where it says, uh, can any good thing come out of Nazareth? I mean, people in, all the Jews went, go to Nazareth? What would you go there for? Can anything good come out of there? Why would I go there if nothing good can come out of it? So these people already had a complex. It's like going to New York, really, being honest with you. They've got an attitude. They've got a, you know, I, I, you talk about me. And yet they had the nerve to look down on Jesus. They had the nerve to, to, to actually say, well, what can he teach me? What? I mean, they're, they're just actually after saying that his teaching, where does he get it from? This is, you know, they're almost admitting that there's something amazing about his teaching style, his message. They're, they're acknowledging there's something different here. Where does he get it? But yet, I don't like him because I know him. I know him too well. And they look down on him. It's such a commentary on the, pri the pride and the conceit of the human heart, isn't it? Such a, a commentary on our own attitudes sometimes. You know, an atmosphere without faith or humility or even anyone seeking God, sometimes he doesn't act. 
I wouldn't say that he couldn't act because he is God. But, he, but faith is about seeking. God does not respond to need. Remember the old question about suffering in the world and about you know, people dying and you know, diseases and famine and pestilence? Why, if there's, why is all this going on if God is a God of mercy and God of grace? Why is it going on? Because he's not a God that responds to need. He's a God who responds to faith. He's a God who responds when people cry out to him. Oh, and he's guaranteed that he'll respond to the cry of faith. He's guaranteed, guaranteed that he will answer our prayers. We are his children. We have a special relationship with him. Not of, our, not of our doing. He has adopted us. He has brought us close. We are no longer strangers and aliens from the commonwealth of Israel, but now we stand before him as his children. Do we ever limit the Holy One of Israel? Do we try everything else in our ability and our range of, of thought before we try God? I don't want to say try God. That sounds terrible. But you know what I mean? Do we, ever, do we try everything else before we think, I think I'll have to pray about it? We do. I know I have done it. Do we limit him to, oh, he saved me, saving faith? We talk about saving faith a lot, and I believe in saving faith. Do we limit him just to saving us? And not delivering us? Or healing? Or supplying this centurion that we were speaking about a second ago there, he could teach us a lesson. He heard where his faith come from. It comes from hearing. Hearing the word. I sometimes sit and just read it out, read the Bible out, just because I'm thinking it'll generate more faith. <laughs> you know, in Luke 18, it says, when the Son of Man returns, will he find faith on earth? It's not talking about beliefs and a belief system. It's not talking about, well, I find people who have a belief in a deity or God. He's not talking about that. He can't be talking about that because, what, 98% of the earth's population believe in something. They have a faith. But will I have people who believe in me, people who stand up and walk believing in me, people who take me at my word? There's a lot to be said for people who have the word of God, who take him at his word. This isn't, as that quote I started at the beginning there with, this isn't just a piece of literature. This is the word of God. This is God's word to us. What has he said to us? You know, if we're going through things, you know, Spurgeon actually has famously said, if he's going through something, he starts to read the Bible and he reads until a verse stands up, salutes and says, I was written just for you. Do we do that? Do we look for a promise from God? Yes, there was a whole thing in the 80s and, and 90s, you know, with the whole Pentecostal charismatic thing, and we all got swept away with it, and then we ran away from it. But there is a point where the God still responds to faith. There's a point where we should remember that he is the God who, who, who chose Abraham, the father of faith. In this story, we've got the Nazarenes, the, the people of God. I mean, this is where Jesus, God decided that Jesus would be born. Uh, and here they are as descendants of Israel, as the children of Abraham, the father of faith, and yet they don't believe. 
You know, it's not just a nod to a set of doctrines. It's not just a nod. Faith isn't just a nod to, to uh, uh, principles, to, a, to a, a, what do you call those things, that, a set of beliefs that they put out, you know, and, and those type of things you see on church websites and, and organizations, and this is what we believe, Jesus was born here, and da 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 You know, and we, it's not just a, a nod to the Westminster Confession. That's not what a relationship with God's all about. It has to be something that's in your heart, something that affects how we live. And tonight I want to just challenge everyone. I want to challenge us to believe God. I want to challenge us to once again look at the scriptures, look at what God has to say, look at our lives and look at what we're going through. I can tell you, God is a God who wants to be involved. He's a God whose arm is not short, whose ear is not deaf and his eye is not blind. He is a God who is near. He is a God who wants to help us. He's a God who wants to be involved. Take it. Take your faith and believe in him. And I'm not just talking salvation. Yes, salvation is the most important thing. If you don't know Christ tonight, let me tell you, there's no better life than knowing Christ. It is, to know him is to know life and life more abundantly. But I tell you, to take your faith and actually believe it, to, to press in. We used to talk about travailing in faith, travailing in prayer. You know, wrestle, wrestle with God, as it were. But, you know, get, get in there, get into the word, get into prayer. Seek God. You want to break through in your life. You want to break through in our, our circumstances, in our, in our health. We want to break through in our community. I tell you, this is the dynamite that could, that could shatter the whole thing. It could change our world. And yet we just sit and go, this is a nice piece of literature. I'll just read this. Da, 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 da. I tell you, this is the word of God. This is mighty. And as God responds whenever we, we call out to him. It doesn't have to be something, uh, uh, something you know, strange. You know, believe God. Believe God. Actually believe him. Take him at his word. When he says he'll do it, he'll do it. When he said that he wants to do this for you, he'll do that for you. God can still deliver people from oppression. There's people out there in that, this world, especially in this day and age, with the way everything's going financially and jobs and all the rest, God can deliver and set free people. Do you know that we have the answer that the people out there are crying for? They're calling out for it. They don't know what they're looking for. They're looking for something. God makes all the difference. It's important to take a step of faith. Just as the centurion did, he sent out the elders. You know, you will have things come against you, things that will attack your pride, attack your pride and guilt and, and condemnation, things that the enemy sometimes will throw against you. But remember, it's not about our goodness. It's not about our ability. Oh, hang on, I prayed for three hours that night. I got up at four o'clock in the morning and I prayed for an hour. And then I, It's not about that. It's not about the things that we have done. Remember, it's all about him. It's about his grace. If you come to him on the right grounds, the grounds of the merits of the cross, or the grounds of the merits that his blood has paid, if you come to him under the relationship of his children, then that makes all the difference. All you have to do is say the word, Father God, help me. And believe God. I want to read a, wee, uh, a hymn to you that might not be familiar, but might be familiar. I've dug one of these up from way back when. But this hymn, I want you to listen to the words of it. 538 for anyone who's reading on. <laughs> it 
It says, Come, my soul, thy suit prepare. Jesus loves to answer prayer. He himself has bid thee pray, therefore will not, he, will not say nay. Thou art coming to a king, large petitions with thee bring. For his grace and power are such, none can ever ask too much. Lord, I come to thee for rest, take possession of my breast. There thy blood but right maintain, and without a rival reign. While I am a pilgrim here, let thy love my spirit cheer. As my guide, my guard, my friend, lead me to my journey's end. Thou art coming to a king, large petitions with thee bring. For his grace and power are such, none can ever ask too much. That, that was written years ago. That, that was written. Newton wrote that. That's not a hyper-Pentecostal thing. That's a Newton. So even he recognized the truth of this message. It's faith in God. I love that passage. You know, Thou art coming to a king. Don't be mealy-mouthed about it. I'm not, I'm not talking about, the Lord bless me with a huge big job. And I'm not talking about that. Thou art coming to a king. Large petitions with thee bring. You know, there's no, no problem that's too small and no problem that's too big for God to deal with. Has he, has he done something in your life? I'm asking a rhetorical question. Has he helped you in the past? Has he been there for you? Has he delivered you? Has he helped you when no one else could help you? Has he raised you up whenever it, it should have taken longer? Large petitions with thee bring, for his grace and power are such, none can ever ask too much. Father God in heaven, Lord, we love you, Lord. We praise you and we glorify you, Lord. We thank you, Lord, for your mercy and your grace, Lord. We thank you, Lord, that you put up with us, Lord, at times where I'm sure that we amaze you with our unbelief, Lord. But we thank you, Lord God, that you never change. We thank you, Lord God, that you have adopted us, Lord, that you have brought us into your family. Lord, that you have given us a place with you, Lord, at your side, Lord. Lord, we thank you for hearing our prayers, Lord. We thank you, dear God in heaven, that you were touched with the feeling of our infirmities, Lord. We thank you, dear God in heaven, Lord, that you see exactly where we are, that you see exactly what we're going through, Lord. We thank you, dear God in heaven, that no problem's too big, Lord, that you cannot deal with it. No mountain's too big, Lord, that you can't cast it into the sea, Lord. We thank you, dear God in heaven, that you are our God, that you put your stamp on us, that you have claimed us as your own, Lord. We thank you, Lord God in heaven, that you're involved. We thank you, Lord, that you're working, Lord, on us and you're molding us and making us. Lord, we just want to give you the glory. We want to give you the thanks. We want to give you all the honor, Lord, because, God, it is on your merits. It is on your blood, Lord Jesus, that we stand tonight. And we thank you, Lord, that you are our God. We love you, Lord, with all of our hearts, Lord. 
We pray, Lord, this week that you'll strengthen us, that you'll keep us, Lord God, that you'll open up doors for us, Lord, that you'll help us, Lord God, to share our faith, Lord, to be a light in the darkness, Lord God. We pray, Lord, that we will be your people, walking in your ways, Lord. We pray, Lord, that you'll help us, Lord, and strengthen our faith, Lord, and help us, Lord, to seek you more.